Welcome back to the Mountains in the Sea. This is Christy. And this is Josh. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're talking about 1-800-NEW-FUNK. We are making a toll-free call on behalf of funk. <laughs> and it's new. It's it was not new. just funk, it's new oh, funk. Oh, new funk. Well, it was new, quote-unquote, when it came out. Some of it was, some, some of, of it wasn't. Was we old. already have problems with this from the beginning? We're like 10 <laughs> seconds in. I don't have a problem with it. Well, factually, we seem to. Oh, no. You know, I don't care. Okay. It's fine. That's the good way to start this one. <laughs> I do don't we have care. problems or do we care? <laughs> no, we don't care. We care a lot. <laughs> we care. We do care a lot. Yeah, but that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Otherwise, we, we wouldn't be talking here about the stuff right, right now. It's all about the care. We care. Yes. It's one eight hundred new care. <laughs> it's the same number of letters, not the same phone number. Anyway, so it was released August twelfth. Of 1994. Right. The worldwide release was 46 minutes and two seconds. Okay. The Japanese release was 60 minutes and 37 seconds. Yes, it always seems like Japan gets extras that we have Good to hunt them. down. Well, I know. Okay, Good so let, let's talk on. about what else was on the Japanese mix briefly. All right. Well, okay, yes. What was on the Japanese version that was not on okay. our U.S. American America version? Yes. The sax mix of The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, which we've already talked about. Right. And The Most Beautiful Boy in the World by Maite, already talked about. Right. Then there was an extended version of Standing at the Altar by Margie Cox. She had to stand there even longer. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems sad. I know. Yeah. Yeah. She was more hopeful that he would show up in the extended version. (laughs) But we're going to talk about that one next time. Yeah. The extended version of Standing at the Altar. Yes. Yes. It was a compilation primarily written and produced by Prince or the love symbol. Yes. Some songs were with him performing vocally Mm -hmm. and or instrumentally. Yeah. And some of them were just recorded by artists who were on the Paisley Park label or right. the NPG label. Yes. The Paisley Park label came to a end, like in 1993. Right. And every, you know, the NPG label was brand new. Uh, so his distribution agreement with Warner Brothers, I think, and Paisley Park had been terminated. And so a lot of these songs that were recorded for intended albums just did not have a home. Yes. So this was his way of finding a home for them. Yes. Entertainment Weekly did a review of this. Really? Mm-hmm. And this is historic, not recent. Oh, yes. This was in like okay. 1994. I don't know if they might have revisited it after his passing. No. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. The article that I read was yeah. from 1994. Okay. Let's hear what Entertainment... Entertainment Weekly is historically very Prince-friendly. I mean, you sometimes carry a subscri- uh, subscription to the magazine, and it is difficult to find a year where there aren't at least... How often does it come? It's weekly, Entertainment Weekly, basically <laughs> weekly. I'm going to ask you how. <laughs> how often does right. the weekly magazine come well, out? Hey, what large city in Illinois is the band Chicago named after, Christy? <laughs> so it would be 
Right? It would be like once a month they would have a Prince reference in it some way, somehow. There was a while there, like in the early 2000s when I had a subscription. Yeah. And there was not a week that went by that there was not a Prince reference or a photo or the love symbol somewhere. Right. There, maybe there was like a mad fan on staff I there that just think made that sure. There must what was have the been. thing at the end, the target list or the hit list where it used to be where oh. it was things that were close to the middle were cool and things that were way off to the outside were just yeah, stupid or terrible. Yeah, I don't remember what they called it now. Uh, and it was... It's gone. I don't think they're doing it anymore. Oh, I don't know. I think when you were subscribed to it, they said that they were going to put an end to it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was too snarky. It was awesome. I loved it. But Prince was always near the middle. He was. And on the rare occasion that he was on the outside edge, Mm -hmm. it was really funny and pointed, but in a pretty kind way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what did Entertainment Weekly have to say about this back in 1994? They didn't care for it so much. Okay. Uh, C plus, they reported... This album amounts to unintentional evidence of why the company failed. Ooh. Ooh. Company being Paisley Park. I guess they meant label. Yeah, or NPG, or I don't know exactly. None of the new blood distinguished themselves. They could just as well be secretaries and bodyguards at his compound. And then they went on to say, and based on his history, they may well be. I was going to say that's not uncommon. I mean, no. there were, you know, love interests and but he found talent in people that uh in unexpected places and Kirk Johnson served as bodyguard, manager of Paisley Park, percussionist. Lots I mean, of he did things, lots so. of remixing and yeah. yeah, so I can see especially at that time and I did feel the same about it when I got this in 1994, especially because it's it was surrounded by come and the gold experience and exodus and all these cool things and then this is sort of just like almost an album of b-side material sort of these things most of them didn't get released for one reason or the other right so i would say at the time i think c plus is probably a fair assessment that's still above average right (laughs) i think that's average c is average right c plus is a little above average it's almost a b (laughs) minus Anyway, I felt, I will say I felt the same way when I got this thing. I was hoping for a little bit more of, uh, well, it wasn't even released at the time, but like an outtake collection like Crystal Ball that was more Prince focused Mm. or that he would had more evident involvement in this more than just being a writer, producer, maybe an instrumentalist. So that was a little disappointing, but we'll get into that. Yeah, we will. Shall we look at the album cover? the, The cover art? Yes. Which I think is pretty fun. It's yeah. got, you know, 1 800. You can't spell funk without fun. No, that's true. Right. It says fun right there in the bottom left right corner. Right there with models. Uh, dancers, I think. Oh. I think that those were part of an NPG dance crew, something oh, okay. like that. I think it was part of something that Maite was putting together. I could be wrong, but that's my recollection of where it came from. I did not go back and do research on the album cover itself. No, I didn't either. Aside from standing here and thinking with you just a moment ago that this this was probably actual photography of these people, men and women, of very diverse men and women. I give them credit for that, which is cool. With live props. They weren't like photoshopped onto I think so, because if you look at the bottom of the N... 
Yeah, and the bottom crooked. of the O, mm-hmm. it looks like you can, like they almost forgot to take out the little stands. The little stands. Yeah. Yeah. But and I mean, the top of the eight has a point on it. Did oh, you yeah. See that? It's not like perfectly round. Oh, it's not. But we should say 1 800 New Funk was an early, well, I guess really Prince's first direct to consumer outlet, too, before the internet. There was also 1 800 New Funk.com. Yeah, in 1984, I didn't have an email address. No, so I did call just to listen to the old on hold music for 1 800 New Funk because you never knew what you would hear that you might not really have heard before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. That's a true story. Did, uh, Anybody ever answer when you weren't expecting them to? Um, I don't remember. I mean, I usually had a sort of a reason to call. Oh, okay. I was asking, like, where's my order? (laughs) (laughs) I think that was a common question that they got. Uh Yeah. Hey, can you tell me where this is? I didn't do a lot of, like, hang-ups on operators from New Funk. I I mean, I didn't figure you did, but I also heard rumors that occasionally Prince would answer the phone. Yes. I heard that, too. No, I never... You know, this was pre-internet, so there was no like message boards to say, "Hey, you should try this," because Prince might answer. That uh-huh. was not a thing. No, we were pretty isolated in fandom at that point. So you look inside, and there's grayed out in the background one eight hundred new funk people. Yes, yeah, that's like fifty percent opacity <laughs> behind some album artwork. Yes. Of the music featured yes. on the disc. Yes. Either yeah. actual album artwork yep. for things like Mavis Staples or uh-huh. the NPG yep. or theoretical album artwork for the Steels. Right. Or it could be, have been intended. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they recorded the music for intended albums, so right. surely someone was working on artwork at the time. It's not like he did not have an art department at his disposal. Right. Which mm-hmm. he did. Yep. I actually kind of like this. I think it's fun. I mean, parts of it are hard to read. Yeah, especially I think there's a quote from Prince as the artist formerly known as Prince explaining what this album is. Message uh, to a friend. That's to us. Me. That's very yes. nice. Go ahead and read it because I had trouble. This compilation reflects the two years of hard work and pain endured by the parents of these children. It's been said before, but songs really are like children, and the ones contained herein were left to die until now. My eternal gratitude goes out to everyone at MPG Records for giving these children a home experience the beautiful. So, very nice. It's just a, I guess, a weird time for him to put together a collection like this of unreleased materials when there was so much, you know, during the height of his popularity that you know was known to be in circulation and not it was just more evidence to me that uh the artist formerly known as prince at the time was very focused on what he was doing then and there not worried about what hadn't been done and the choices that he had made in the past were behind him this was his focus from 92 to 94 essentially this music here yeah um and so it was important to him to Feature them in some form or fashion. Yeah. And that's what we got. Some of it had been previously released, too, and others only exist because of this collection. Right. Yeah. The CD itself, Mm -hmm. fun, screen printed, 1-800-NEW-FUNK. Didn't try and put the titles of the songs on there, which is good. Isn't it like a spinning dial rotary phone? It's like a rotary phone, which... Takes me back to my childhood because my parents did not want to pay for 
touch tone telephone. That's just crazy technology. Why would you do that when this circular thing works just fine? Yeah, exactly. It just, it costs more. And then, you know, the back behind it is just reusing those images of right, the it's, it's dancers. Like each, each letter and dancer has been kind of isolated and turned and twisted and made into a fun collage. Which I think is super fun. Yeah. And then the back is them reversed, which is, I think, also kind of fun. Yeah, it's the backside uh-huh. of the phone number. Right, exactly. So it's kind of fun. And it's got all the songs mm-hmm. around it. Yeah. Now on the- I say the backside is more like they just reflected them. It's not, it's not shot from the other side where you can see the stands and the unpainted numbers Uh or their behinds unless they were showing them in the first place. Right. All right. And then there's all the listing of the songs and then credits, which it's very, very difficult to read because it spans three panels of the booklet from the CD. And instead of having, each panel individually, it went all the way across. So it's yeah. really difficult to tell when you end one line to yes. go back to the beginning of the next line. You get really confused. It's a challenge. Yeah. In the business, we call that too long of a line length and uh, primarily why columns exist. So people can read these things, but mm-hmm. also all caps everywhere, which is also It's like, you know, today we look at it and think, why are these people screaming at me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's a fun design for kind of an independent release. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have a problem with it. It's just some interesting choices were yeah. made. I wouldn't make the same choices. Right. But they made them. And overall, I think it's fine. Yeah. It's it's done with care. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'd say it's definitely a step over our last album, which was Child of the Sun, where we talked about how difficult... Yes. The interior of that album cover was to make out. Right. I mean, and as difficult as this can be with the super long lines, at least it's readable. It's like if you put a piece of type on a white background. Yeah. If you put a piece of paper over it, it would make it, you know, you like you did when you were a kid. Yeah. I was going to say, if you were an elementary school uh, reader, you would have no problem with this because you just move your ruler along with yourself to keep your eyes on in the right spot. Exactly. All right. So, shall we start? Talking about the music? I think we should. Okay. The very first song is miscredited on the outside of this album. Yes. And the inside of this album. Off the bat. Yeah. So the name of the song is MPLS by the band Minneapolis, but it's reversed. So it looks like the name of the song is Minneapolis by a band called MPLS. And that's not correct. Some of my first notes on this are exactly that that when i first got the album i remember being confused was the song minneapolis and the group mpls or vice versa and now looking back and doing the research here i saw the same note that you did that it was miscredited on the disc on the album so no wonder i was confused but i really should have just listened to the lyrics which say now i cut this groove in a group called minneapolis right in the song yeah. it's wrong on the credits right exactly yep there are a little like one sentence description of each song oh on the album credits on the album credits okay and so i'm gonna share those as we go through all right sure please. assuming it's... that i can read it from the <laughs> ultra long lines all right all right it's story time with christy so <laughs> 
All right. Minneapolis, a funky jam from a funky city. So it's, so it's even wrong there. Well, and I can't tell if it's talking about. No, it's right there. I'm sorry. Minneapolis is the band. MPLS yeah. is the song. But it's a funky jam from a funky city. Uh-huh. It's Is he talking about the song or the band or both? Oh, Probably I thought you both. said band. It says jam. Jam. So it is wrong there. MPLS is the jam. Minneapolis is the band named after the city. Yes. Okay. A funky jam from a funky city. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, we know that um, it was a short-lived band, and they were initially referred to as the Crayons. They recorded... What, all of three songs, two of which were on an unreleased single I read on Prince Vault? Yeah. They featured Kathleen Johnson on vocals when they were the Crayons, and then Jana Anderson when they changed over to the band named Minneapolis, not Mm -hmm. MPLS. Uh, But the band was Sonny T on bass and Jana Anderson on vocals, Morris Hayes, who's a mainstay in Prince's band and his musical director, The Steels, Kirk Johnson, or Michael B., (laughs) On drums, and then uh, Billy Franz on guitar that Prince Vault listed as unconfirmed. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jana Anderson also went by Jana Jade sometimes. Right. I think she refers to herself that way in the song also, I think. Um, Yeah, and they call her Cutie. Yes, Cutie Pie. Cutie Pie. Cutie Pie on vocals. Yes, like she's a... My Little Pony character. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently the song is credited to Sunny T, but it's registered at the ASCAP as having been written solely by Prince. Okay. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Hmm. I think this is a fun, funky, dancey jam. Uh Uh-huh. I was hoping that you would like it. Because I I thought that was a great way to open the album. My first note is it's all about old school funk and TV shows. Yes, it is. It's starting out with Archie's Bunker. Yes. So it refers to Bunker's music bar and grill in Minneapolis. Yes. Probably also refers to the famous sitcom character Archie Archie Bunker. Bunker. Right. I used to play the gig at Archie's Bunker. I used to play the gig at Archie's Bunker. Misheard by me when I first got this album. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because there weren't lyrics in the album. There's lots of copy in the and no album lyrics. sleep, but no lyrics. So I heard, I used to play the Gay Garachi's Nightclub. The Gay Garachi's Nightclub. I don't know what Garachi is, but it sounds like <laughs> a cool name for a nightclub. Garachi's. Um, yes, come to Garachi's Ooh. and meet someone special. <laughs> But that's not what they say at all. So, yes, I used to play the gig at Archie's Bunker. I just remember very clearly, and I still sometimes sing it to myself that way uh-huh. in the wrong, that's misheard funny. lyrics. Yeah, yep. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, so they continue with another uh, famous 70s, 80s sitcom, Then I Up and Joined the Jeffersons. Well, okay, that has to do with the next line. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I was in a band with Lenny Kravitz Mama. Yeah. Who was Roxy Roker. Yeah, right there. Cousin to Al Roker. First cousin once removed, I read. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Cousin. They're distantly related. (laughs) Yes. And she's an actress, played Helen Willis on The Jeffersons. Yes. The first interracial. Thank you. Interracial couple that was featured 
routinely on a television show. Oh, yes. Featured and mocked <laughs> at length yeah, yes. by George Jefferson. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they just didn't care. And yeah. I kind of loved that. Yeah. No, that was very, very, yeah. it was very progressive at the time. Yeah. So I was wondering, too, with Roxy Roker, I remember hearing of her passing away and Lenny Kravitz has a song about her on one of his albums from this time. And I thought, I didn't re- realize she was still alive when this was recorded and yeah. she passed away on December 2nd, 1995. So shortly after this album was released. Yeah. She was also an accomplished stage actor. Yes. Yeah. I liked the bit about selling the wax out of the back of my sub- Subaru. Yeah. Selling the music themselves is better than having a record contract. Yes, yes. Right yes. there from right in the beginning. It is. Prince is going to make I, sure we get, get that in there. I did appreciate that that theme was very minimal across the selection. That's so if fair. there was anything about him and his uh, Prince and his contract dispute with Warner Brothers and Slave and not being able to release the music he wanted in a collection of music that was somewhat prevented by release. This is pretty free of that kind of narrative, which I also appreciated too. Yeah. I couldn't find this mention anywhere online, but did you catch that there's a sample of someone saying, shut up, throughout the song? No, I heard it, yeah. So I was trying to place that in my head. I thought, I've heard this before. Where is it? And I'm fairly certain that it's George Clinton from the song Dis Beat Disrupts from his album Hey Man, Pull My Finger, which is where Hollywood oh, came from. Right. And that song samples Shut Up from Princess Housequake. And George Clinton kind oh. of repeats it. And his voice, I believe, is what's sampled there saying Shut Up throughout the entire MPLS song. Oh. Shut up. Already. The beats are never correct. It's time the melody like a shit. The beat just stopped the groove. The power powerhouse boy. Okay, next thing I know. So, George Clinton copying Prince is sampled in this song. Yeah, I wouldn't say copying, well, but... Um, no. Yeah, using a line from Housequake in one of his songs from an album that's also has a track pulled and is part of this collection. Another visit into the circular craziness of Prince's uptown crazy world. (laughs) And then there's a reference to Clinton in the chorus, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure is George Clinton. Yes, it is. Not president. No. I like the uh, whole old school, schools in session kind of uh, lyrics where they mention James Brown, Guitar 101, James Brown, Second Hour. And Tower of Power. Yeah, which I didn't, mm-hmm. I was like... What is that? I don't oh, yeah. know what that is. It's a band yes. that had been around for 25 years when this album came out. They've yes. now been together 50 years. Right. Prince would play their music, particular at, particularly during after shows at this time period. Okay. Yeah. They featured horns really heavily, uh-huh. but also lots of other instruments. Yes, they sure did. No, I thought they would have been really good funk school instructors. Mm-hmm. Bootsy, Bootsy Collins, player, bass player for James Brown and yes. George Clinton. That's right. 
Yes, and Bootsy appears on Hey Man, Smell My Finger also, along with like members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and members of, oh, who was Sex Packets by? Digital Underground. Sorry, lots of members of those. So lots of hip-hop artists were there as well. Very cool. So do you think we hear Prince in here? I thought it sounded like Prince. And it says, making you wish that you stayed in funky school. Making you wish that you stayed in funky school. Mm, it sounded like the, him. It sounded like him with an altered voice, something that we've heard similarly okay. before. I didn't hear it, but I wouldn't um, argue with you because I heard it in other places and mm. made notes about it, so it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, Where did is, you hear him? Uh, not on this song. Oh. On a song to come. So I wondered if that line about Bootsy, and then they say, and if you can't play seven, seven on the drums, you better not show your face. You ain't funky. Oh, Is it in that. reference to... Seven the song, I'm or sure. is seven a type of drum pattern, maybe? Oh, I, I didn't know. look that up. I assumed that it was seven the song, since this was recorded yeah. around the time of um, the Love Symbol album, which included the song seven. Right. They go through who's in the band, guys, and yeah. you know you kind of hear the listing of everyone. So everyone is mentioned, and then. You hear after Master T by way of Queens, there's a little bit of silence, and then you hear Sonny T say, hey, you ain't supposed to be on this record. Uh-huh. And I wonder if the silence is a nod to the artist formerly known as Prince, whose name could not be pronounced oh. at this time. I don't see why he would say that in response to Master T being on there. I think that it would be a reference to the artist formerly known as Prince being part of this band. Yeah. As he was not allowed to do those kinds of things under his Warner Brothers contract. Right. Yep. All right. Then we move on to Hollywood by George Clinton. Right. All right. Let me read the bit from here. Oh, story time with Christy. Yeah, story time with Christy. George Clinton. You can spell it P-Funk. Or George Clinton. It's all the same. A musical potpourri designed to prepare you to get on board the mothership for a trip to a cosmos, which is beyond the limits of time and dimension. Hollywood is the affirmation of George Clinton's immortality. Hmm. All right. I didn't get that from the song. I didn't get that from the song either. So that's uh, probably, you know, that's the opposite of the Entertainment Weekly review. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so Hollywood was on, as we mentioned earlier, it was previously re- previously released. It was part of uh, the album Hey Man, Smell My Finger, which was on Paisley Park Records, right. um, released in October of 1993. So it was odd to me that he chose a mixture of songs that had been worked on and had a proper release, like this album charted. There's this song and a couple others that have that in common. Um, and this song in particular is one that had no Prince involvement whatsoever. Yeah, other than just being on Paisley Park Records. Yes. I mean, Prince is so not involved on this track that it's the only song on this compilation that doesn't have its own page on Prince Vault. Yeah. There's nothing there. Right. Well, I think it just really goes... I think it was maybe an homage to say that MPLS 
was directly inspired by George Clinton. Yeah, or Prince's. I mean, it was a his idol also growing right. up. George Clinton in 1994 was already a long-established funk trailblazer, you right. know, and to have him sign to Paisley Park, he released two albums on Paisley Park Records. Rumor was that it was Prince's way of helping him out of some tax issues also. Right. Um, but he had, you know, didn't need an introduction on an album like this. His inclusion on it, I think, gave credit to the album, along with an artist Fair. like Mavis Staples, who were older than Prince. You know, right. They were more like, certainly Mavis Staples was like a mother figure to him. I wouldn't say George Clinton was like a father figure to him. Uh, no. It was said that George ignored all the Paisley Park rules, like <laughs> <laughs> would eat fried chicken oh. in the kitchen yeah. at Paisley Park, which was a no-no, and eventually would have to contribute to the swear jar a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But this song, Hollywood, no swearing and no fried chicken, um, I think it's one of the more vanilla George Clinton tracks, if you think of songs like Atomic Dog, mm-hmm. you know, songs that predated his relationship with Prince, and even songs from this very album, I think there are better tracks on it. Or maybe it was just to feature a song that George did himself that Prince didn't have a hand in, uh, and he just wanted to you know, feature it. Maybe he gave George Clinton a choice of what to include. That, that could be. I thought that these two songs back to back really like were very cohesive, really That's well true. together. They did have this kind of uh, chant in them with yeah. uh, uh-huh. this kind of like booming, not apocalyptic, but it is kind of this... Yeah, uh, a very dramatic yeah, sort yeah. of sound yeah. to it. Yep. Hollywood. And they both have that in common. Yeah. And I think this song's super fun. The, I'm the only, surprised that you liked it. I really liked it a lot. Right. I like this song a lot because it's fun to dance to. And yeah. I like the play on the different parts of Hollywood. Yeah. You know, they talk about Hollywood, the North Side. Mm-hmm. East side, west side, south side mm-hmm. every time, but they kind of change how they talk about it. And more than one person sings those lyrics. I thought that was really fun. Yeah. Really effective. That's, I did. That's a hallmark of, well, that entire Hey Man, Smell My Finger album. And a lot of George Clinton's music is deep play on words, like a lot of time spent taking a word and dissecting it and making it mean different things. And, yeah. which, you know, Prince himself did a lot too. But he's strutting, he's stomping, he's stepping, and he's strutting again on yeah. all sides of Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. The only, since Prince didn't really have anything to do with this, other than it was on Paisley Park Records. Yeah. I had one, only one note about lyrics. Okay. And it was personal, mostly. Amongst the pretty leaves on my lemon tree. As I step back on my back terrace, amongst the pretty leaves on my lemon tree. And I think it's funny that he mentions a lemon tree because California, even in the early 90s, was really associated more with things like avocados and grapes and things like that. Yeah. And he mentions the lemon tree, which is funny because an aunt that she passed away when I was pretty young, but I have really lovely memories of her and really the only really clear memory that I have of her was going to her house 
and she had this lovely patio Mm -hmm. that had lemon trees on it. And I went out, I wanted to go out and look at them. So she and my mom stayed inside and they were talking and I reached up to touch this beautiful ripe lemon and it came off in my hand and I thought for sure it was going to be in terrible trouble because I'd broken her tree. Oh no. (laughs) And I set it down on the ground and tried to like pretend like it had just fallen off the tree. And she was so sweet and kind. She said, I really need a a nice lemon off of my tree. Will you go pick one? And of course she knew that I had, it had come off in my hand and I felt bad about it. And so I run out and get it and we made lemon bars that afternoon. No. It was just, it was a very sweet memory. And so I really appreciated talking about, now, of course, that was Northern California, not Southern California, but yeah, still, that's a favorite memory of mine from California. Mm-hmm. And he, it happens to do with lemons, which he mentions in the song about very cool. California. Well, no wonder you like this song. <laughs> um, th- again, I think it's one of the weaker songs off of the album, which I don't think that you've heard in its entirety, at least not in 20. Not in a long time six years or so if you've heard it at all the one thing that did strike me about this song though is that this was when george clinton was still singing to a degree he does sing in the song and it's not all spoken word type things even when he appeared on uh the one one night alone after show disc in 2002 with prince Mm -hmm. on a track called it ain't over I mean, his voice sounds shot. I mean, he speaks and it sounds like he has swallowed a dozen razor blades from a paper cup to quote another Prince song. I would rather drink six razor blades. Razor blades from a paper cup. It's just like a gravelly, his age is showing. I mean, the guy's lived a hard life, no doubt. No doubt. He's definitely had some adventure. Oh, yes. I think he has some stories. For sure. Just a, another side note on this song. Uh, in May of this year, 2019, he and Parliament Funkadelic were given Grammy Lifetime Achievement Awards, oh, which is really cool. cool. And he re- is retiring from touring this year, too. Yeah, I saw he's like yeah. 79. Yeah. Like, he toured longer than anyone had any right to expect him to. So Yes. Well, I mean, that's what I expected prince to do that he would be almost 80 and still touring or finding a way to do it whether it be just sitting with an acoustic guitar or piano and a microphone type thing right but uh george clinton did it you know he's not known as an instrumentalist so much as kind of the orchestrator of you know 70s funk and then really the originator of hip-hop as we know it today you can thank george clinton for it yeah for sure yeah so definitely as track two on a collection like this it's not a bunch of unknowns. We've got a legend, even in 1994, right? as track two on this song, on yeah. this album. We're going to move on to Love Sign. Okay. All right, story time with Christy. Go for it. Nona Gay and the love symbol. If you're sick of evil knocking on your door, Nona Gay, following in the footsteps of her father, legendary singer Marvin Gay, along with the man who needs no introduction, have come up with the answer, love sign. Created from the soul of a true funk believer, this is a sign of new experiences to come. Mm, so, okay. so this was maybe part of Prince's new direction in music, maybe is what we were hearing, or a nod to the album that Nona Gay was supposedly making at the time. Could be any of those things. Yeah. 
So Prince Vault has this song, Love Sign, credited with Prince's all vocals and instruments, except for Nona Gay with co-lead vocals with him, Paul mm-hmm. Peterson, who is St. Paul Peterson. Yes. From The Family on bass guitar. Yes. Uh, Ricky Peterson on keyboards, who was very involved with Prince during this time, and then featuring the NPG, which Prince Vault probably rightfully assumes is probably mostly just Prince. Yes. This is the song that uh, kind of made me aware of this album. Right. Um, the Prince Vault listed, lists it as being a promotional single only, but I can clearly remember being in college at this point and yeah. working a assembly line job in the summertime in Michigan. And they had every night it was, it was like a 12 to, it was i I'm sorry, a 4 PM to midnight shift that I worked during the summer Mm -hmm. and they would have different music playing every night. And sometimes it was, you know, top 40 Mm -hmm. country, classical and classic rock. And it would change every night. So whenever it was top 40 radio during the summer of 1994, this song would play on the radio at least two or three times every night. And that was like the only time I ever heard it because I right. didn't listen to the radio a bunch. And so I'm trying to tell everyone on the assembly line, hey, could you quiet down? There's a Prince <laughs> song playing. Yeah, they didn't really care. No. Um, but, I'm you know, sure. I was struggling to like, oh, where can I get this song? I am a Prince fan. I want to buy this. And I could not. It was really frustrating. Yeah, that's because uh, Warner Brothers blocked a U.S release of the single right which was stupid this should have been, this could have been on a prince album this could have been a probably a top 10 single for prince at this time yeah you know follow up the most beautiful girl in the world with love sign as a duet with nona gay who's the daughter of a legend right so yeah anyway a great song about love and ending gun violence which how many times have we talked about this on this podcast that everything sung on this song is 100% or worse applicable today than yeah. it was at the time this was written 25 years ago. Yeah. So sadly, not much has changed. No, unfortunately. Okay, so I couldn't find this credited anywhere. Okay. But there's a sample, a couple of them, two signs of mm. the time. Yeah. And... Time is passing, passing the time. And I'm sure... Or passing is time. I think it's it says time is passing, passing is time. Oh, Like okay. it's reflected. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know the samples that you're talking about, but where those are from that you tried to find? I and... listened to all of the Poet 99 songs oh. that I have. You know, there's five of them that yeah. are... You, you can hear them on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I listen to all of them, and those are primarily where he pulls samples from Poet 99 yeah. from, and it's not in any of those. I listen to all five of them, trying really hard to find it because I really wanted to find it. I don't know mm. what it's from, but I'm sure that that's who that sample is. You think so? I'm, huh. I'd am i bet money on it if I had I... found a way to... Oh. Capitalize. (laughs) Hey, Vegas. (laughs) What are the lines on song lyrics from quarter century old (laughs) outtake collections on NPG records? (laughs) Probably not good. Not good. Most recognizable part of the song, obviously, is pop, 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 go the pistol, bang, 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 go the gun. Yeah. Pop, 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 go the pistol, bang, 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 go the gun. Uh, and that's how I always heard, you know, that was like the 
I'm on the assembly line working and I hear this coming from these crummy PA speakers uh-huh. above me. And I'm like, oh, I gotta pay attention. I gotta <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> Forget that I'm using dangerous equipment. I gotta pay attention to the song. Yes. Yeah. So I thought there are great lyrics here about the glorification of gun violence, too. Yeah. In particular, I highlighted this verse uh, that goes, In the day of where and why we all belong, don't nobody want to hear a silly love song. In the day of where and why we all belong, don't nobody want to hear a silly love song. And if they did, then we would sing it on the news while you're aiming your gun at me and I'm aiming back at you. Yeah. And if they did, then we would sing it on the news while you're aiming your gun at me and I'm aiming back at you. Uh, you know, that, um, you know, stories of love and that kind of thing would not get the kind of coverage that, you know, someone being shot would get. Bleeds it leads. It does. But the chorus tells us to lay down our guns and rejoice in Prince's funky music. That's right. Yes, music is the cure for gun violence. You know what? If someone put forth legislation today that said that we're going to find a way to make music cause fewer gun deaths, I'd fully back it. You know, do something. At least that's something. <laughs> yes, something. Which is, which is better than the nothing we're doing. <laughs> Um, I thought this was a great also duet kind of pairing. I think we've yeah. talked about this plenty of times when Prince duets with folks. They can tend to get a little buried. Mm-hmm. And here Nona and Prince are both featured really well. And it's yeah. a lot of Prince's baritone singing and kind of improvising in the background with, you know, sick of evil knocking. Yeah. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff that I thought worked really well. Yeah. <laughs> liked it too i really liked this idea too let's all get up off the front and find a cause to back then we could teach the babies replications of the act let's all get up off the front and find a cause to back then we can teach the babies replications of the act like find something to support something positive yeah support it and teach your kids to do the same and this world will be a better place Yes. I was like, I love that. Yes, the whole um, let's all get up off the front and co- find a cause to back that type of songwriting was very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Prince's, I don't know, the second half of his career, I guess, which is basically what we're about to start here in 1994. Yeah, and he's also got, you know, done like, how are you going to get my back when you front from <laughs> Undisputed? Literally thinking that exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we've... We've talked about that, so that's something that he... This was the first time he did it in 94, that remix of Undisputed, where he says, how are you going to get my back when you front? Mm-hmm. would be five years later, but um, yeah. definitely front and back, and, you know, again, kind of inspired by the George Clinton tendency to take words and deconstruct them and make them funky. Mm-hmm. And here Prince is doing it, but he's also doing it for, I think, a cause that he believed in, somewhat ironically, because this is following... The Love Symbol album where he, you know, made, had a custom microphone shaped in a pistol. Right. But I think the idea there was that let's overcome violence with love and music was his way to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted a little bit of somebody telling us how to make a love sign. Like we had the get oh, wild sign. Yeah. Third finger wanted, down. Yeah. If you're wild, yeah. make a sound. I wanted to be able to 
make the love sign yes, somehow. Like they even ask if it's, for you know, it. a heart. Yeah, make the yeah. love sign. And yeah. I was like, is it, you know, like a heart? But that didn't really seem very princey. Yeah, it was a little too cliched. Yeah. It needed to be more funky. Yeah. But yeah, Nona asks us at the end of the song, show us your love sign. Yeah, I was like, do we have to have a stick with the print symbol on it? I don't know. I don't know either. Because I also thought that when this song came out was, is the love sign Prince's love symbol? Is that it? And what it stands for, which is, you know, less violence, more love. Yeah, I think so. Another way to describe it. Yeah. I think Prince clearly liked the song. He performed it with Nona Gay on the Today Mm -hmm. Show, which we'll talk about later. And there were multiple remixes of this song, one of which appeared on uh, Crystal Ball in 1997. So I think that there were big plans for this, and maybe Warner Brothers' blocking of the single just caused him to move on when he realized it wasn't a fight that he could win. Right. Uh, all this other, you know, all these other plans for the song were kind of put on hold. But when he Which went on the shame. yeah the Today Show appearance, um, really features Nona more than Prince. In fact, he sits for most of it with the guitar. Right. Which we'll talk about on another episode. Yeah. Evidently, the song samples Funky President by James Brown and Atomic Dog by George Clinton. I think some of the but beat I didn't is really... Atomic Dog-ish. Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. A song... I couldn't really identify exactly where that was. Yeah. There's a song on that same George Clinton album called Martial Law that has a similar drum beat and drum pattern to this song also. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought this was... This is the song that features Prince most notably, you know, right. up front on this entire um, CD. And I think if you were a Prince follower, this is the reason you went out to buy it. Yes. I don't think it was because you were, you know, trying to keep up with Margie Cox. Um, <laughs> no offense to Margie Cox. No. But this was, you know, any Prince fanatic at this time knew of the song and wanted to have it. And this was the only way to get it. Right. So, which has probably worked to the album's favor. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. All right, then we have If I Love You Tonight by Maite. Okay, we'll do story time. It's story time. Let's hear what they have to say about it because we spent the last episode of this podcast covering her album, including this song. Yes. Maite, the seductive, sensual, and multi-talented dancer who mesmerized audiences around the world with the love symbol, now unconditionally captivates with her debut single, If I Love You Tonight. Translating her many talents to the screen, Maite will be seen by millions when she hosts her own television show premiering in Latin America. Did that ever happen? I don't believe that it did. Okay. Well, one thing is for sure. I do think millions of people know who Maite is or did 25 years ago because of her... Uh, relationship with Prince, both as a dancer and love interest and mother of his child. We covered this song ad nauseum in the last two episodes. two episodes of our podcast, including the originally released version by Mika Paris, some remixes of the song. Um, so um, I don't know that we have a lot to say about this I don't have anything here. else to say. <laughs> I, read, have, I read what Prince had to say about it right there. That was a nice ad. Yes. Yeah. I will just add that I listened to the version of this song on this compilation, back-to-back with the version on Maite's album, just to see if there were any differences that I could find. Musically and lyrically, none. 
Um, but this is a more pleasant mix, at least volume-wise. It's oh, nice okay. and level, and the version on Maite's album uh, seems brick-walled. Like, it has the volume turned up to a point where it gets uncomfortable to mm. listen to in places. If I had to listen to this version or the version on Maite's album, both of which are identical... I'd come dialing the toll-free number oh. to listen to it. So, All right, then. Um, if you're interested in stuff like that, that's a good back-to-back Oh, listen. I hadn't noticed that, but okay. Yep. Cool. All right, then we have Color by oh. The Steels. Right. Well, more story time. Okay. The Steels, four angelic voices who will surely lift the spirits of anyone who hears Color. I agree. You yeah. know, I hadn't read, I have not looked at this album cover in easily 20 plus years. So could not tell you what was written about each, each of these songs. And today I probably couldn't read it without some assistance. <laughs> um, well, allow me to But I think you. that's a great description of the song. I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Not because I you know, went into this thinking, oh, this is terrible. Let's not listen to this. But um, this is one of those songs that... I kind of had forgotten about, okay. I guess, in, That's fair. in Princeton. Mm-hmm. It was originally intended, according to Prince Vault, for the Minneapolis band project, but is credited on this album to the Steels. Okay. So maybe there's another version that was by Minneapolis, but we get the Steels version here with Javetta Steele on vocals, okay. who we listened to on the previous episode with her version of Ain't No Place Like You. Yeah. Um, so I think her... All the steals, I think it's, you know, a family. Javetta, Fred, JD, and Jirlin. Jirlin? I hope I'm pronouncing that right. All of the steals have performed with Prince and as background vocalists and have a very soulful, almost church choir-like kind of quality. To, That's an excellent way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kirk Johnson, according to Prince Vault, has performed on unidentified instruments on this song. So I didn't know we were still trying to identify instruments, <laughs> but apparently Kirk has some um, not seen in the wild. Um, and then the new power generation on all other instruments with which Prince vault probably rightfully again, assumes is mostly Prince. So I didn't think that this was an original concept for a song. The thought of color, meaning what is your skin color to color being what's your attitude, what is what's in your heart, that type of thing. But I thought this was a nice reframing of what's your color to be not about race, but about attitude and approach, emotions, and a really nice little soulful pop song. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was a nice way to talk about it as not only your... It was like your emotions. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like envious or color angry. me, color me green. It's literally a color associated with jealousy. Color yeah. me blue, sadness. Yes. Color me blue. I I liked that part of it where it was, and I think it was maybe a bit of a. Reference to some people thought he was mixed race because he had light skin color and it was a way of him saying, I get to say what my color is. I get to say what my ethnicity is. You don't get to decide that for me. Right. Yeah. He was definitely not about labels. That's for sure. Right. That's interesting that you compared green as a color with envy Mm -hmm. and blue as a color with sadness where the first line, the first two opening lines 
um, were the ones that struck me as there's, he's making that same connection here where the, they sing, color me black. If you color me just like you color me angry. If you color me less than I do. like he's associating black with anger in the same oh. way that green with envy yeah blue with sadness but um you know for i think reasons of oppression yes and that type of thing agreed mm-hmm. agreed uh, so i thought this was it kind of worked to me in line with mpls and hollywood and this song do kind of fit together I can see where the theme and the musical approaches all are kind of from the same time period with sounds that Prince was exploring at the time. Yes. And they do sound like they were recorded around the same time period. Yes, though it's been theorized that the song was in the vault Mm -hmm. and he it had been there for some time and he pulled it out for Mm -hmm. the seals to record. Re record. It was something that he had Mm -hmm. recorded, written, worked on sometime before the the steels recorded it. Okay. Yeah. I didn't read that. That's very cool. Yeah. The one thing I did know, you know, looking at, you know, where can I find Prince on this song? There's a bridge part where they sing love is my color when I'm shown love in return, but when I'm not, it's a bet you can guess what I've learned. There's a little rhythm guitar part where the little strumming of the guitar is on the upstroke as Prince would say. That's, Clearly Prince, and you can recognize his playing style, like from a minute and 46 seconds to two minutes. Okay. And that was where I like, I'm laser focused on this part. I know uh-huh. that's him. I can tell by the way that He's guitar is being played. <laughs> the other little connection I found to probably the most popular song during this time period of Prince's is there's a connection to the beautiful experience EP with this song at three minutes and seven seconds. There's a drum break that's identical to the one used throughout, or maybe it's sampled from the song. And at the end of flute instrumental on the beautiful experience EP. Um, In fact, I think it's at the very end of that song when it goes into Prince chanting the lyrics to the most beautiful girl in the world. And you can hear it at the three minute, seven second. It's part of the song. That's cool. Very cool. All right, then we have together. The number the, two, together. Yeah. To right. To get her. By, to get her <laughs> by the NPG. Mm-hmm. All right, story time. Story time. NPG, they have been together on the multi platinum Diamonds and Pearls and Love Symbol albums and now step out with a song whose lyrics beckon the listener to create peace and harmony. Okay, I'll buy that. Sure. However, it makes it sound like they're debuting here when this song <laughs> yeah. was released on their own album <laughs> in August of 1993, like a year earlier than yeah. this. This song appeared on the album whose name I will say, Gold Nigga. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. I think it's fine as long as we're quoting the album. Okay. That definitely has quotes on it coming from me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this version was slightly edited from that version to yes. remove a reference to 1993. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I tried to figure it out because I read that and then I went back and looked and saw the album version was 5 minutes 32 seconds and the 1-800-NEW-FUNK version was 5 minutes 8 seconds. 
maybe I lacked the attention span to find exactly where that was, but I did listen to them back to back trying to figure out what was edited and could not figure it mm. out. There was a reference to 1993 in why. there. Well, I don't know. Cause Prince did your references a lot at this time. I know. Or and they took it out just... because this was 1994. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not expecting you to explain it to me. I'm just saying. Okay. It's, it seems like of all Fair. the things to edit out of a song. Yeah. That's a strange, well, that's a strange sad one. for me. Cause I love a good year reference. Yeah, I mean, you might as well. And what, I mean, was it really all that different in 1993 than it was in 1994? Apparently not, because we're listening to the same song from 1993 on this album in 1994. (laughs) Yeah. So as Prince referenced in his uh, deeply detailed liner notes that you just read, uh, it's essentially the same band as the Love Symbol album, but with Tony M on lead vocals instead of Prince. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely an NPG style ballad where we've got, we heard this a little bit on Exodus also a couple episodes ago, where we've got real pretty music uh-huh. with vocals or speak singing by Tony M. I don't know that you would call it rap. It's kind of gentle, gently rapped for a ballad, I guess. Yeah. You know, when we've got troubling lyrics about gun violence and genocide over very pretty music and background vocals by Sonny T, who's does a really good job, I thought, with yeah. background vocals on this song. It was the B-side to the promotional release of Love Sign as well. I didn't know that. Yes, it All was. Right. So this song made the rounds. It did. It yeah. did. I love Tony M's baritone. So That man smooth. has a deep voice. Oh my gosh, does he ever. I mean, it almost rattles your chest just listening to it on a normal <laughs> volume. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Prince fans you know, bemise Tony M and the addition of him to the MPG and even being more featured on the love symbol album than he was on diamonds and pearls. And then taking like lead vocals on the MPG's first album. But I think there's a lot to like about, I mean, uh, he'd been with Prince a long time too. You don't realize he was in purple rain as a background dancer. Yeah. So he'd been around the Prince, you know, uptown sphere for a long time. So to see him get a chance, I think is, is cool. So, I'm with you. I do like his voice and the way that it's handled. I think it's not like he's trying to sing Purple Rain. You right. Know, this is a completely different style of music that right. Prince, you know, was experimenting with. Well, and, you know, when people say, oh, I don't like that. And I didn't care for that. Why did he do that? I very much of the Prince did something for everybody. And if this is not what speaks to you, that is totally fine. You're welcome to listen to other stuff. Yeah, and the one guarantee was that he would eventually move on, which right. he did. This was fairly short-lived, you know, yeah. from 1991 to 94, maybe, with Tony M taking lyrics. And there are instances where it doesn't work, and there's a lot of instances where it does work really well. I thought as a ballad on a basically a rap record. Yeah. This worked well on the NPG's album. Its right. inclusion here baffles me a little bit because oh. it had been included on an album that got did get released. Right. In fact, it got released a couple times. There's a version of it that had a song that used an unauthorized sample that they had to remove oh. and reissue. Okay. And I remember getting it early by calling 1-800-NEW-FUNK and trying to figure out a way to say to the clearly white man on the other side <laughs> of the phone that I would like to please order the NPG's gold nigga CD and uh-huh. send it to me at college. <laughs> it was not a comfortable thing to do for me. I'm sorry. I appreciate that you were uncomfortable yeah. saying it. Yep. And my next door 
roommate. I was in a, a, a hallway of single dorm rooms that were like half the size of a normal dorm, dorm room. I got lucky enough to get in there, and my next-door neighbor, <laughs> uh, who I became really good friends with and was the best man in our wedding, mm-hmm. heard me listening to it, and the NPG's Gold Nigga album is what turned him on to Prince. Really? Which I've not heard anyone say that of themselves <laughs> before. So, Randy, if you're listening, you are a unique man. Um, the one lyric that I wanted to point out is just still being very true today. This is a good pairing with Love Sign, mm-hmm. I think, is uh, the last lyric line where he said, and he basically says it, Yo, it's simple from the old to the young to uplift. We must give the gift, gift of knowledge, that is, teach our young that all in life ain't fun, and to make a life that's better, my people must stick together. The choice is yours. Yeah. Give the knowledge that is. <laughs> Teach our young <laughs> that all in life ain't fun, <laughs> and to make a life that's better, my people must stick together. Um, so, very well thought out lyrics for sure. Well, and I had one spot too that's in a similar vein. Okay. Please, Lord, give me the strength and make it quick because my people won't take another nightstick. Yeah. And I was like, Ugh. Please, Lord, give me the strength and make it quick because my people won't take another nightstick. Yeah, it's, it's tough, yeah. but he'd been seeing this oppression, yeah. this targeting by police of people in his community for a long time. Yep. And when I hear people say that Prince was an all lives matter guy, yeah. he was a black lives matter guy. He'd been a black lives matter guy since the early nineties, since before it was a thing. Yeah. And I don't say that to be that he didn't care about other lives, but he said it in Baltimore albums like books and black lives still matter. He yeah. was um, advocate for his community. Yep. Yeah, that's right. He would have sung the same thing if it had been Hispanics in his community that yes. were doing this. This just happened to be the focus of where injustice was. Um, so I think it's authentic. It's not uh, trying to get attention by, you know, getting behind a cause like this. It was yes. uh, because he saw it happening. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. While I will say that I think Tony M has some great moments on his own and on Prince's proper, more proper mainstream albums, there's one part of this that bugs me a little bit that I've got to point out. And I was listening to it again this morning and kind of it just once, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. So okay. if you want to fast forward 30 seconds <laughs> so you don't end up with not being able to notice this, then go ahead. But in this song and in many of them, Tony has a habit of this kind of tick or doing this. Oh, thing oh. between lines. Yeah. Yo, it's simple. And he does it a ton in this song. I, mean, I counted them this morning while I was listening <laughs> to it. And I'm like up to 30 and I lost track of how many times between wow. lines you hear this. Oh, oh, and it just, it starts to bother me oh, okay. on the delivery a little bit. Okay. Uh, so I would like to cut those out and then I'm, all in with together. And again, just to say again that I think Sonny, Sonny T works as a background vocalist. Great. You can hear him supporting Minneapolis in the first song MPLS and, you know, just adding these fun moments and falsetto points. And he does it on together also. And I think he just works better as a background vocus as opposed to 
a background vocalist as opposed to a lot of Exodus, which we recently covered, where his voice is front and center and we kind of learn where the limits of his voice can go but when you're featured. That's fair. You know. What are we? What are we? If we're not together. If we're not together. Oh, and last point about together. I read, I think it was on Prince Vault, which I didn't realize, that the song was premiered at a party for Prince fans in Detroit. On June 5th, 1993, which was two days before Prince announced his name change on his birthday. So, a little tidbit. Thank you, Prince Vault. There we go. All right. We're going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back with Standing at the Altar. All right. On the Story Song Podcast, we closely examine the story of famous story songs. We'll walk you through the lyrics you've heard a thousand times, but have never thought about. Leave it to us, because we overthink everything. Spread the word around. Guess who's back in town? Why is this my job? (laughs) Why is this on me now? I didn't even like those guys. (laughs) We discuss the history of the story songs you love. Show of hands. Who here knew that Riggs Springfield was Australian? No clue. The Wikipedia article started with, you guys, you're not going to believe this. (laughs) The Story Song Podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. Next, we have Standing at the Altar by Margie Cox. Storytime with Christy. Let's go. Margie Cox is a woman with a lot of soul on this planet or any other standing at the altar. I don't know how that goes together, but okay. I don't either because this song has nothing to do with space time <laughs> or the galaxy or the solar system, and uh, but that's fine. It's Prince being uh, very superlative, which yes. he was known to be. Well, that's fine. Yep. This was the only commercial single, and it was only available in Europe. Yes. It was recorded way back in July of 1991 was when the basic tracking took place, <laughs> which is it's crazy. That was before... Diamonds and Pearls, you know, was released, so very crazy. Did, did you read what the inspiration was for I did. this song? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it was that Julia Roberts broke up with Keith, Kiefer Sutherland just right. three days before their planned wedding in 1991. And I had completely forgotten Me about too. that. And I mean, now hearing about it, I remember, oh, yeah, they were dating, and it was like, you know, Benefer 0. 0.0 <laughs> uh-huh. was Julia Roberts and Kiefer Sutherland. Um, but yes, I do remember, of course, back then there was no TMZ. So finding out about it was, you know, the National Enquirer or some rag like that while you're waiting to Parade just magazine. Buy, yes. While you're just waiting to get your, yes, parade, uh-huh. the newspaper insert parade. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you would read about those things while you were waiting to get your milk and eggs at the grocery store. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Margie Cox was supposedly working on a solo project, and this was part of it Mm -hmm. at the time. And it's all recorded essentially by the Diamonds and Pearls version of the New Power Generation also. So sort of the same band that was on together, with the exception of uh, notably Rosie Gaines and Eric Leeds being part of this recording too, which I thought was pretty cool. So I was unclear if this song was supposed to be part of Flash or MC Flash, Margie Cox Flash, yeah. mm-hmm. or not, because she has an entire album of unreleased music. Yes. Of, of stuff written by Levi Caesar Jr. and Prince. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's also sometimes known as Tamara. Um, yes, I did read that. You're right. Yeah, she, she was part of a band called The Scene, Mm -hmm. and then they changed it to Tamara and The Scene. Uh She came into Prince's orbit because 
Jesse Johnson of the time saw her with the band The Scene and kind of helped them get a record deal and co-writing a bunch of songs for the band's self-titled album. Okay. Yeah. So that's how she came into the Prince orbit. Okay. Oh, man, that's probably got to be part of Jesse Johnson's long list of Prince grievances. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I brought you... I brought you Margie Cox. Come oh, on, man. Yeah. Why didn't you do anything oh, with yeah. it? He yeah. had um, kind of reconciled with Prince in 1990 and appeared in Graffiti Bridge and was on right. the Times album then. But yeah, even to this day, even uh, at the 2019 celebration, he's still working out issues that he had with Prince. And, you know, of course, we're hearing his side of it. But if his side is true, then you can understand where his frustration comes from. That's for sure. Yes. So this single from 1-800-NEW-FUNK included the B-side, Whistlin' Kenny, which yes. is the only song from Flash or MC Flash to be released in any form. Right. So we will uh, talk about that. Okay. At a later time. Yes. I've seen and heard and read Prince fans say I don't know what Prince sees in Margie Cox. but I her I, voice is great. I was like, she can flat out sing. I can see why. I mean, especially for, you know, early 1990s white women associated with Prince. I mean, like his infatuation with Kim Basinger had nothing to do with her ability <laughs> to sing, but it didn't no. stop her from appearing on some tracks. <laughs> Margie Cox is an accomplished singer and oh, yes. could have loved this band for sure. It's towards the end of the song at like three minutes and 34 seconds, right before the song fades out and she starts on a low note and goes and hits a super high note. And her whole range is on display for like four seconds. Mm-hmm. And that if I was Prince, I'd be like, that's all I need to hear. Let's <laughs> go into the studio and record some stuff together. Yeah. yeah. I liked, uh, let's talk about lyrics a little bit. I liked, okay. ever since the day we first met, everybody been jealous as they could get. Ever since the day that we first met, everybody been jealous as they could get. I'm like, man, they didn't have a very good support network. Nobody was rooting for these people from the beginning. Right. And I wonder if maybe he didn't do her a favor leaving her at the altar. I just read something uh, today about a woman who canceled her wedding like three weeks beforehand because Mm -hmm. she finally realized that this guy was super controlling and from outside, everything looked really great and he was very attractive and she's also a very pretty woman and he was smart and accomplished and it seemed like they had a perfect relationship, but he was super controlling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, doing you a favor is, you know, big picture stuff. But, yeah. you know, if you really oh, wanted yeah. to give me a favor, how about, you know, a little bit more a notice? More, yeah. 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 Fair. Yeah. Fair. At the two minute and 20 second mark. I don't know. You you seem to be focused on the lyrics. I was more focused on <laughs> the music, which okay. is good. That's why we're doing this together. Um, at two minutes and 20 seconds, there's a very Tomo, Tommy Barbarella-ish keyboard solo mm-hmm. that sounded to me a lot like the wash the dishes part of sexy MF. Okay. Um, so it's just clear, just a little hint to me that, Oh yeah, this is, this is Prince's band backing her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that 
this is where I mentioned earlier that I thought I heard Prince on background vocals. Okay. Um, at two minutes and 47 seconds, they're um, in the refrain where they sing the first verse but change it a little bit. And Margie sings, If There's a God Way Up Above. And you can hear a male singing background on God or repeating it. Uh-huh. And it sounds like Prince, Prince to me. Okay. And that seems like a point where he would come in and... Yeah. Do a little addition like that on that particular word. But the full uh, lyrics are, if there's a God way up above, one day you'll have to have to answer to him for all. So right on the word God is where I thought okay. I heard a little princely influence. I was amused by you didn't even stop to ask me who, what, or where or why. You like maybe he failed journalism class. <laughs> That's right. The, <laughs> the pillars of a of a of a story. Yeah, exactly. Yes, he wasn't into the inverted pyramid of relationship <laughs> descriptions. <laughs> I thought it had a bit of an 80s sound too, but in a really like pleasant way yes i was going to mention that too the song has a dated sound to it and it's not a negative thing it does sound i say i heard it as like a early 90s pop kind of sound and it made me think what a good job prince did on his own records of kind of limiting that i mean yes some of his songs sound like they're from a particular time period. I don't think anyone can avoid that, but songs like this that are really using like sounds of the day, you know, the, the kind of thing everyone was doing, he tended to keep off of his own records. That's fair. Um, and I think that's a credit to him, you know, as an editor, which I think he gets a lot of critique critique for, for being a very poor editor. But I think what he was great at doing is his albums from start to finish never necessarily sounded like, oh, that's, you know, your favorite mid-90s Prince. It could have been released at any point and sounded relevant. Right. Where I think if this song was re-recorded today, it would sound very, very different. Right. Even though the lyrics make perfect sense, there's, you know, it's a nice little story. Well, not a nice little story. <laughs> a sad little story. It's a story concisely told concisely told and i'm sure many people have experienced it and it comes off as authentic too very much inspired by that julia roberts story but in reality she was the one who left him and in the song she's the victim of having her fiance husband to be leave her yeah so the roles are reversed yeah all right then we have you will be moved Mavis Staples. All right, let's see what Prince has to say about her. Mavis Staples, at the center of great music, is the gutsy wonder of the mighty Mavis. Blowing like an emotional hurricane, her interpretation of a lyric can move mountains. The bluesy, gospel-tinged, you will be moved, features a cameo by Staples singer, patriarch Pop Staples, who contributes guitar background vocals, and ad-libs. Yeah. Which I'm like, oh, well, that one's so surprisingly descriptive. Yes, that's all like <laughs> proper liner notes, yeah. not just uh, superlatives. <laughs> so Mavis is the second entry on this album where I think that you have a, uh, a lot of credit built up in this collection with someone well-established mm-hmm. and well-respected. And she was also a Paisley Park artist. And this was another song that was 
previously released that yes. was kind of handpicked to be on this collection, which made me realize, man, August of 1993, there were a lot of <laughs> non-Prince, Prince-related uh, albums that came out. Yes. We had we were covering three of them here with George Clinton's "Hey Man, Smell My Finger," the NPG's "Gold Nigga," and Mavis Staples' "The Voice." All were released in August of 1993, which I did yeah. not recall happening back to back to back. Yeah. So it was kind of a reclusive year for Prince as he's probably putting together his plan for how am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Um, he had his the hits and B-sides released, which had a, a handful of new tracks that were included on it. But all these other albums that of new music where he was, you know, kind of the orchestrator of it all. Yeah. Made an appearance then, too. I thought this had a very mid-century soul sound to it. Oh, yeah. It sounds like uh, all of Mavis's sounds to me sound yeah. like she should be on Motown Records. I mean, yes. I, it's great that she was on Paisley Park, but um, where she belonged was on Motown. Yeah. Really. Agreed. She was born too late. Born too late. Uh, or maybe, I mean, um, she, I mean, she's in her... 60s, early 70s, I want to say now. She was just in San Antonio performing downtown, uh, which we didn't get to to make. But um, yeah, she was well established at this point in, yeah. in the mid-90s too. But definitely the description that you just read uh, is accurate with Emotional her being very hurricane. soulful, uh, very typical of Mavis's recordings with Prince in the early 90s. And she starred in graffiti bridge with him as the character melody cool mm-hmm. um which it was her not only a character but also the name of a song that also appears on the voice it's all about babies the future and education it's almost like a female version of together could okay. you say you know if you think That's of fair. together because of tony's persona and baritone voice and here we have more of a mother figure and Mavis Staples, who tried to be a mother to Prince, essentially. Like, there's, we read an article recently where Mavis Staples was talking about her time in Paisley Park and telling Prince, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to be your mom. And Prince would just laugh and say, Okay, Mavis. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mavis. Mm-hmm. Very, very sweet. Yeah. And there's videos of him in the studio with Mavis all over the internet that you can oh. see with Prince giving direction to Mavis Staples. Mavis is, um, in the recording studio behind a mic and Prince is giving her direction, like telling her about how, when I wrote this, this is what I was thinking. And if you could put a spin on it that way, it might be interesting. And, you know, he saw her as certainly an idol of sorts. So I'm sure that's a neat relationship to see Prince giving direction to someone senior to him and more experienced than him. Yeah. I liked the, uh, I didn't like, I was touched moved if you will Mm -hmm. by the story yeah um it's heartbreaking in part and you know that this you know like gun violence songs this is still true today when it comes to education and opportunity right he'll grow up on an empty stomach but he'll try his best to listen to the teacher reading from a school book with half the pages missing yep he'll grow up on an empty stomach but he'll try I was touched and moved. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to pay attention when you're hungry. This right. is why so many churches mm-hmm. feed people because yeah. it's hard to hear any kind of message when your body is telling you I'm lacking something. Right. Or my number one priority right now is survival. Learning is not 
you know, top of mind. Right. Yeah. Yes. And then it was that there was an unusually dark view of education mm-hmm. from Prince. Usually Prince is like, educate, get an education and buy a pair of shoes. You will be moved by a system without one single guarantee that an education is the answer and love will set us free. Moved by a system without one single guarantee that an education is the answer and love will set us free. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, I mean, you can make good grades and do everything that you're supposed to and still not get ahead in the way right. that you deserve to get ahead. Yes. And that's an unusually dark, dim view yeah, of education. Pe- pessimism there is definitely not what we've heard from right. him in the past when it came to the topic of education and schooling. Yes. And I think that uh, he, they're really, they're singing to white people here that mm-hmm. if you're, Eventually, everybody's going to end up in a place of persecution. Yeah. And that if you didn't have sympathy and help Mm -hmm. for people who have been alienated because of your privilege, Mm -hmm. then don't expect anybody else to be sympathetic to you when you are in a place of persecution. Yes. The line about coming back to roost is really what made me think of what you're describing now. When the streets overflow with angry souls, that's when you see the truth. When the pain that you've inflicted comes back on your door to roost. Yes. When the streets overflow with angry souls, that's when you see the truth. When the pain that you've inflicted comes back on your door to roost. That you're... A white society is setting up uh, a very integral and large part of our society up to fail, but those people will one day find a way to be in power and you will pay for what you've done is what we're saying here. But I definitely think, yes, she's singing. She's not telling the black community anything they don't already know. Right. Yes. Yeah. So if, if you haven't seen this stuff, then you're the one that needs to be listening to what's being sung here. Exactly. Yeah. The target is implicit, right? Yes. In the lyrics. The repetition of see the video, I kept wondering where that came from. Mm. She says it at the end right. of almost every chorus see the video. Yeah, see the video. So I wondered if that's like a little caption cut line to if you need the proof, then you can see it if you look hard enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know. I wasn't able to find any information about that and I didn't have opinions. So, okay. Yeah. I just found it like an interesting repetitive line because it's not like when this was recorded, you're going on YouTube to try to see what she's talking about. Well, and maybe it's just that you, if you paid attention and watched the nightly news, yeah. you could see right. the video that illustrated this point. And if you're unable to see it, it's willful ignorance. Right. Right. It's not that, uh, yeah, there's plenty of proof yeah. in the pudding. Yes. All right. All right. We're going to move on. Madhouse 17. Yeah. Madhouse, the jazz saturated instrumentation of Madhouse confirms that music is still the most pure sound in the world. 17 is an incarnation of all that lurks in the dark corners of the Minneapolis jazz scene. 
interesting that he used the word incarnation there since this was uh-huh. recorded under the original name of Karnak. <laughs> yes. In 1993. Um, I think that was maybe intentional. Yeah. A handful of other songs were recorded with it, according to Prince Vault, one of which is Rudy Kazuti, which is about to be released on the Versace Experience mm. and which the Prince Estate just officially put on their YouTube channel. Cool. Uh, so that's very cool. My first note, though, with Madhouse 17 is it's one of our biggest fears since we started this podcast, an instrumental. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? So Madhouse had two albums that were released, 8 and 16, and the naming convention was track one was O-N-E, spelled out. Track two was T-W-O, so they followed that convention. And remixes of songs were given half or a quarter oh, okay. kinds of things, which is very cool. So there, there were a couple different times when Prince restarted the Madhouse theme um, and tried to make the next album um, 24. Yes. So this comes on the second attempt to get 24 together. Right. And yeah. this would have been the first yes. song on that being 17. Right. The first album being one through eight. The second being... 9 through 16. Right. And this would have been the first song. Yes, exactly. It would have let off the Madhouse album. Mm-hmm. So I think if you go back and listen to 8 and 16, which are great collections of songs, um, this does have a little of the original two album sound. Like I remember okay. thinking there's, wow, there's not a lot of guitar or any guitar in Madhouse 8. It's piano and sax and bass guitar okay. and drums. Um, so that's a little true here, and we've got kind of wild sound effect type things like uh, whistles and mm-hmm. other stuff going on that kind of give you, I don't know, give you a sense that this is a Madhouse song. Okay. There were some synthesizers at like the two and a half minute mark that I thought were interesting and not overpowering. Mm-hmm. There's a like a piano bit that's really pretty. Yeah. Um, there is there are some guitars here at like yes. a minute and a half, and it's so like plucky and cool mm-hmm. and very smooth. Yeah. They're really great horns. I appreciate the horns. I just, I don't, I think I don't really love horns. Oh, yeah. I I really, I think I've, I don't love jazz. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this doesn't seem quite as improvised, like as um, aimless as I think the jazz that bothers you the most. There's a direction here, and it's almost like every, what it does have about jazz is like every, instrument gets a chance to come up and have a solo there's a guitar part a piano part a sax part right but it does seem to be headed somewhere rather than just kind of an aimless it's not just like a jam session it's got a like a goal yeah it's fine i just don't i just don't really like jazz i think if you love jazz this is amazing jazz it's really good i don't love it it's not my genre I don't even know if jazz is the right category to put it in. There's okay. been a lot of, or is it just like uh, kind of an R&B instrumental, a lot of people okay. would say. Um, but clearly it revolves around the talent of Eric Leeds on the saxophone, and he's present here too. So I'm surprised a little bit that he doesn't get a shout out in the liner notes here from Prince because 
Madhouse wouldn't be Madhouse without Eric Leeds. Fair. And he never once attempted to put a Madhouse collection together without Eric being in the fold. Yeah. Um, there are some like record scratches and effects throughout this song that date it maybe even more so than the older Madhouse albums, which to me sound a little more timeless. That could be a symptom of by this time I had heard Madhouse 8, Madhouse 16 so many times. So to hear like this, you know, this is where we're headed now for Madhouse and it included all these different types of things and effects that weren't part of the first two albums maybe is what makes it seem dated to me. Okay. So if I'd heard it in the opposite order, I might feel differently. Okay. That's fair. But this was a neat um, addition here, you know, uh, on this collection yeah. and, uh, you know, an unreleased instrumental to find its way on kind of a poppy album. Yeah. It was a cool choice. Yeah. All right. Then we have A Woman's Gotta Have It by Nona Gay. Yeah. Her second appearance on the collection. Mm-hmm. Nona Gay presents A Woman's Gotta Have It, her fresh, soulful sound with an openness and honesty that reflects wisdom beyond her years, she strikes you in one breath with the confidence and clarity of an old soul, while in the next, charming and captivating you with the innocence of youth. That's a I, uh, that's lofty. That's a lofty description. I agree, especially if you've seen some of the videos, um, even the interactive video, the CD-ROM, and Nona Gay is on there. She's not portrayed. As a particularly highly intelligent person, I guess she's confused by a lot of things that she sees <laughs> in this thing. So I think, again, that's part of a character she was playing, not a reflection on her herself. But then to read these words, they definitely are uh, kind of a polar opposite to her video appearances. But that's anyway, fair. yeah. This is a cover. Right. Uh, Bobby Womack released this in 1972 and it's my understanding that this was a single from his album yes and i listened to that i'm sorry nona oh yeah oh i didn't know we were going to compare the two but yeah bobby womack is like i don't know that a lot of people know his name but he almost has this you hear his songs and you're like is that the temptations is that lionel richie And he's sort of a little less known as a, just a giant figure in music, especially in the seventies. His was, his version was so soulful and had this super cool guitar and interesting drums. I felt like rather than Nona's version being an honoring update, it was kind of a poor imitation. It was just a little easy listening sounding, Mm. whereas his is so fascinating and soulful and, you know, really, really great. And her voice is pretty, but it's only just fine for me. Yeah. I enjoyed, I had not heard the Bobby Womack song I don't know, ever. Uh, yeah, maybe I don't know. ever. Um, 1972 predates me. Um, but when I went back to listen to this one song, I ended up listening to all of Understanding. And then there's yeah. a great collect, like 30 songs of, you know, the best of Bobby Womack. I added it to my iTunes library and I'm like, I listened to it all day at work one day. And it's I'm like, this is awesome, just, right? this is 
Um, so good. Yeah, I mean, I would compare a contemporary for Bobby Womack, if you've ever heard of Amos Lee, A-M-O-S-L-E-E, is making... He's like a modern-day Bob, Bobby Womack to me. Um, okay, that's super fair. Yeah. Um, so it what was interesting to me was to hear Bobby Womack's version, which is almost like a love song to women, especially when you consider that it was recorded in 1972 and right. about whether or not a woman speaks, you have to make sure that her voice is heard. And it's all about, you know, how it's almost like an instruction manual for a stupid man to learn how to, you know, by the way, a lot of this is obvious, but the fact that he put it into a song is what makes it special. Yeah. Um, and so then to hear Nona sing it, it's almost doesn't, it's not even her fault because no. while I'm all about hearing women empower themselves, it almost isn't with the same kind of foundation as hearing it from Bobby Womack or a man, you know, kind of telling other men. Yeah. Particularly in the early seventies. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, you know, listen to this. I'm like, it's kind of easy listening. I kind of liked the horns Mm -hmm. that made it flow from 17. I thought the tracking was really good. Good point. And it's Ken Holman on saxophone who I had not heard of before Mm -hmm. in Prince universe. Okay. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I thought that that was good. And then I went and listened to the Bobby Womack version. Mm -hmm. And literally, I did, you know, the comical O with my mouth when my jaw dropped because I was was like, why did did Prince have her do this? Because it was unnecessary to me. It was superfluous. I think I think what it does tell you a lot is about Prince's musical vocabulary and that he Fair. he knew of the song. This was something he was listening to and an artist he respected. So that could be part of the decision to include it as maybe he felt like we do that. Hey, I don't think people here in 1993, whenever this was recorded, have an appreciation for, you know, old school music, mm-hmm. you know, as he would call it at that point. And, you know, now it's even older school music. Um, but I'm, now it's classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we mentioned Prince's Sleep Around yes. uh, when we covered Maite's Child of the Sun. Yeah. And again, listening to Bobby Womack's version of the song makes me think maybe Prince drew on this a little bit for Sleep Around. It's been princified to the point where you've got to do this so your girlfriend or wife isn't unfaithful. So it might right. be a little more... I don't know if I want to say cringy, but a little more. It's not about making a woman feel like she is appreciated. It's more about making sure you don't lose her as yeah. a man. Yeah. Um, and that's not what Bobby's no, version is about. Bobby's is more mm-hmm. value her. Yes. Because she's valuable. Right. Don't take her for granted. Yep. It's good. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. So I'll give it to. Prince including it here, it made me go back and listen to the original version Yeah, and really appreciate Mm -hmm. what a great song that was. Yeah. The other thing I tried was going back and listening to Love Sign and following it up with A Woman's Got to Have It and hearing how, because this was also intended for Nona Gay's album that she and Prince were working on. And I could see how these two songs work from a sound perspective. You know, they fit together. Mm -hmm. They would fit together on an album. Um, but yeah, I'm completely with you. When I 
decided, you know, I should probably listen to the original version of this because I didn't realize it was a cover until we started preparing for this. Yeah. Um, Did it? And it doesn't say that anywhere. Um, Credit isn't given, which is kind of strange. It may in the super small type that is way underneath the hard to read larger type. Yeah, I didn't realize that it was a cover and thought, man, I should really at least give this one listen. And it caused me to... um, (laughs) Yeah, find a new favorite. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to revisit this one plenty. As you're looking in the booklet, I see the cover for, I don't know if that's the intended cover for Nona Gay's album, but she's in her red Catwoman outfit on top of a red sports car. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't fit with the spirit of the song, I don't think. Just my opinion. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, she's basically objectifying herself in a song that's more about finding value in a woman's Yeah, your uh, intrinsic worth. value, right. not your yeah, physical value. And I value. don't think that it's like intentional irony either. <laughs> it's just, you no. know what would be cool is let's get you in a uh-huh. red cat suit, uh-huh. cat woman suit, and put you on top of a red sports car, <laughs> and that'll be... The cover of our single. Yeah. Yeah. I would say missed opportunity. Fair. And then we finish up the album with the MPLS reprise. Right. Or isn't it listed as Minneapolis reprise? I think it's a mistake the second time around. Minneapolis reprise. Right. So it's it's wrong in multiple places. Both times. Yes. Whatever, man. I don't know how that... I mean, I guess you can critique Prince as a proofreader here because surely he <laughs> knew that the band's name was Minneapolis and the song's name was MPLS. Whatever. But it got it got by. It got it slipped through the cracks. Um, At least they were consistent in their mistakes. That's true. They didn't get it wrong in that. one spot. They screwed it up everywhere. <laughs> they were consistently in yes, error. They were one hundred percent wrong. Yep. Just a short little tie from the one end of the album to the other. Yeah, this kind of struck me as why. Um, It's 48 seconds of the song, and I realize it is listed as reprise, but I expected it to be like, we recorded the song, we faded it out for track one, and there's a little bit more of it here at the end that might be slightly different, but no, they just took like a 48-second snip of the song we've already heard, and it fades in, and then it fades out, and I am wondering... Why they did that? Yeah, it's just it's one of the better songs on the collection. But Prince had done this before, like on the soundtrack to Graffiti Bridge. There's New Power Generation as track two, and then track whatever it is, seventeen, I think, is New Power Generation reprise, and it like fades back up where the Mm. first song faded out, and you get more of it, and there's a rap, and there's something else, you know, to be had here, right? I don't know what the value is of picking up 48 seconds of a track we've already heard and sticking it on the end of the album to bookend it in this way when it's not really a cohesive album anyway. It's a collection of songs. Right. Okay. I just, I thought it was skippable, not bothersome, not really adding anything. There was nothing offensive about its inclusion, but there was nothing remarkable about it either. Yeah. Though you say it was a collection, which it was, Mm -hmm. but I thought that the tracking and the order that these songs were put in was great considering the disparity of artists that there were here. And I thought that it really flowed very well for an album that's featuring different artists. Yeah. I thought it, the 
order of it really made sense for the most part that it they really kind of it flowed from one song to the next it really felt like an album here yeah it was sort of the approach that they took on originals with Prince there were songs that were never meant to be heard together but the way that they were arranged and tracked right it made sense made sense and you know you get ballads spaced out nicely and um, then it works so yeah I do agree but to me this is always just a it's a collection of songs that are nicely organized but not an album okay we'll we'll agree to disagree all right do you agree you should let us know on social media you should find us on twitter at tmats t-m-a-t-s podcast you can find us on facebook the mountains and the sea a prince podcast or you can send me an email tmatspodcast at gmail.com do you think that this is a cohesive album or not give us your thoughts now that we've reached the end of the album it is time for us to make some selections yeah but if you do contact us it's not an album (laughs) there i have some rules (laughs) you do have rules We choose your rules. We choose three things. We choose a time capsule, something that exemplifies the time at which the material was recorded or when it was released. The host making that selection may make the determination as to what they feel. Supreme power. (laughs) Then we have the C, not necessarily something bad, just the thing that we didn't like. If it's your favorite thing, we're so happy for you. But this is the thing that we liked the least about the material, which which we are talking about. Yep. And then we choose a mountain, our favorite thing from the material which we've covered for that episode. So they're my dumb rules. So I go first. Time capsule. All right, let's hear it. MPLS. Okay. Yeah, with the P funk sound. Mm-hmm. It was. It was very. It had like it reminds me of that time in the nineties with the George Clinton. I'd heard Atomic Dog on the radio, and yeah, you know, it very much kind of spoke to that time for me with the P funk sound. Oh, okay. My time capsule was standing at the altar and okay. its connection to the Julia Roberts Keeper Sutherland thing, which is like the TMZ sound or the TMZ <laughs> news bit of, you know, the early 90s. That was the biggest thing. Uh, so to hear a song kind of inspired by that. Okay. That made, I know it wasn't, uh, didn't really retell that story, but the concept of the song of being left at the altar came from, you know, these two highly popular actors, you know, splitting up in this, in this way. Julia Roberts really was America's sweetheart. Yeah, she was. Um, so for that, and also I thought the song has this kind of nineties vibe to it that like we talked about. Sure. Prince did do a good job of, I think sandboxing his own albums to kind of prevent trendy sounds from making it onto them. Although he was experimenting with different things and trying to not be, of the moment, even right. though he was very much of what about, all about what he was doing at the time. Fair. So, okay. Then the C, the thing that we like the least. Well, if you can't guess, Oh boy, I bet I can guess <laughs> a woman's got to have it only because I felt like it was just unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see where you're coming from and you're totally right. It's funny that we both went and listened to Bobby Womack and like, I could, I'm ready to listen to more of this. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, I didn't feel that way either when I heard Nona's version of the song. No. And it might just be that it's coming from a woman's voice, that it's a more touching thing coming yeah. from a man. Yeah. What's your C? My C... It's such a little thing, but I really cannot stand that MPLS reprise for 48 okay. seconds of stuff. Or like, why? what is so remarkable about this snippet of this song that I need to hear it again okay. at the end? And how does it help wrap this album up? Uh, I don't know. I guess okay. I guess it doesn't leave you with the taste of A Woman's Gotta Have It at the very end as the closing <laughs> single. So maybe it was, you know, a little bit of sweetener on top of that closing. But outside of that, I could not figure out wh- why. why. Okay. Why am I hearing this again? Okay. What, for what reason? I can think of none. Okay. That's absolutely acceptable. Yeah. You you have my approval, oh, my good. permission to choose that as your selection. <laughs> and then we have the mountain, the thing that we like the most. Well, I have to give an honorable mention to color because I thought the mm-hmm. songwriting was interesting. Okay. And the performance is really good. Yeah. But love sign. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to not really have the thing where Prince shines the most. Yeah. It's it's the strongest part of the album and it's great. Yes. I'm sure no one will be surprised that that is my mountain. Also, it was the reason that I was like, I've got to have this thing. I don't really care about anything else on it, but I want to have this song and I want to have it on a CD. Yeah. Um, and I, to this day, I don't believe that you can get it anywhere else. I mean, of on streaming services or buying through Amazon Prime, I think you've got to find it physically mm-hmm. or go searching the dark interwebs to find it. And I think yeah, it I think should you have be to, a, like search the dark interwebs that hard. There's a video of it. So if you really want to hear it, you can. Well, but if you want to own it, I'm yes. just saying if you want it in your collection, it's not easy, which is a shame because it should be. I think among the top 20 Prince singles it's released. It's a great song. Um, it's a great song. So, yes, that's my mountain. My honorable mention was going to go to the band Minneapolis okay. with their track MPLS. Uh, I loved it. I would love to hear the rest of that album. I think that um, it sounds great. I want to hear more of that. Um, so I would love it if that saw the light of day sometime. Yeah. And I am not holding my breath. Okay. Me either. All right, next time. Next time. Well, we had planned to do just a single episode on 1-800-NEW-FUNK. As we have so often done in this series of episodes where we have planned to just do, we'll just do the album and this one other thing, and we start digging into a little bit, and oh, by the way, there's a whole bunch more stuff. That's why our outlines are in pencil Uh and not in pen. So next time, we're going to do a 1-800-NEW-FUNK episode part two, so Dial us toll-free and hit two for part two. Part two. We're going to cover the love sign video. We're going to cover the standing at the altar video. And there was a video for Together that we thought we'd loop in here. And And MPLS. An MPLS animated video that just kind of found its way... Uh, into the public eye in the last couple months, actually. So that's yeah, kind summer of, of 2019 is right. when it kind of surfaced. Yep. Then we've got a performance by Prince and the MPG and Nona Gay on the Today Show with yes. Love Sign. And then there are seven different remixes for Love Sign outside of the one that was included on Crystal Ball. Uh, they are the Storyboard Video Mix, Mac Attack Message Mix, Shock's Silky Smooth Instrumental. Ted's Double Trouble Mix, Ted's Funky Chariot Mix, Ted's Get Em Up Mix, 
Ted's Love Sign Radio Mix. Ted. I don't know who Ted is, but we're going to listen to his mixes. <laughs> uh, then we have the Standing at the Altar extended version that we talked about, and also the B-side Whistling Kinney that we'll take a listen to also. Wow. Well, that's a lot of stuff. We'll be busy. There's no, not surprising that we needed another episode yes, to talk about that. Better. Yes. <laughs> All right. So join us for that. And if there's anything that we've talked about today that you want to hear, I'm putting links up on our social media to as much as I possibly can. So do check it out. Let us know what you think. What's your mountain? What's your sea? Do tell us and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Forge Audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.